Hey, y'all. Welcome. Uh, my name is Simon Stokes. I haven't met you at this point in the semester. I would love to meet you and get a chance to, to know you on some level. Uh, I'm the campus minister here at RUF, and I just want to say that RUF is an amazing community of people, and we're, we love, love, love meeting on Wednesday nights and worshiping and getting to be together in a kind of a big setting like this, but RUF is so much more than that. Uh, it is a communities of people who care for each other, who need Jesus together. Some of those people are Christians, some of those are not. Uh, but it's a group of people who come together because they need Jesus and who spend time together because they need Jesus. And I just want to say, especially if you're a guy uh, and you haven't yet signed up for the men's retreat, that's a great way to get to know other guys and get to not just come here, sit, hear a message, worship, and then leave, but actually to get to be with other men and talk about what's going on in your life and have fun. We're going to play flag football. We're going to eat some hamburgers. Uh, my friend Caleb is the speaker. It's just... Just sheer nepotism is what brought, got me to bring him in uh, for this. I just wanted to give him an honorarium because uh, he's my buddy. But <laughs> he is a really good speaker, and he's going to be talking on um, the first night on Jonathan and David's friendship and what like real guy friendship looks like. And then the second day on Samson and lies that guys believe about what actually seems like to be a man, which is sex and power, um, or just total lies. And he's going to talk about those things. We're going to do that together, and it's going to be really fun and great. And so if you're here and you're a guy and you'd love to go on that, I'd love to see you and talk with you about it. So anyway, that's my pitch on that, the last one for the night. And uh, let me get started here. So we've been going through the book of Exodus this semester. Uh, it's the second book of the Bible. And it's a story basically of how God frees his people and sets them free to know him and to be together as a people of God. As we've gone through... Uh, the book of Exodus, we've seen that you know, God has confronted Pharaoh, he's, re- he's gotten his people to be freed, and now we enter into what does it actually look like for God's people to be free together, and to be free for them to worship God and to know God, and to be his children. And it might surprise you that it starts off in the wilderness. So I'm going to read Exodus 13, I'm going to jump into here. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, let the people change their, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Let me pray for us and we'll get started. Father, you, uh, you guide us. You lead us through your word and through your spirit. And Lord, in all these things... In all the ways that you got us, in all your providence, Lord, you're good to us. And you're good to us in bringing us together tonight to hear your word. We pray, Lord, that you would use your word to transform us, um, to set us free for those who are enslaved, to comfort those who need comfort, um, Lord, to raise the dead for those who are dead. Uh, Lord, that you would be with us, that you would lead us to yourself, you'd lead us to your son, that we would love you because we see how much you've loved us first. In your name we pray. 
Amen. Uh, <laughs> so I heard a story uh, recently of a guy uh, who's a dad, and he goes on vacation with his family up to New Hampshire. And they're up, and they're kind of doing the hiking thing along the AT and hanging out and maybe doing a little whitewater rafting and things like that. And he goes to one of these outdoor outfitter stores that's open like three months of the year. And he, he's talking to the guy who's running the store and sort of behind the counter. And he starts to get to kind of a, a conversation with him. He's like, well, hey, man, what do you do like the other nine months of the year when this place is closed? And the guy says, you know, actually what I do is I work here for three months of the year. And then nine months of the year, what I'm doing is I'm just hiking all over America and all over the world. And it sounds pretty cool, so he starts to ask him some more questions about that. And the guy starts to open up, and he says, you know, I used to be a drug addict. And I woke up one morning literally in a gutter, and I realized, you know, if I don't stop doing drugs, this is going to kill me. And so he stands up, and he starts to walk, and he walks out of the city, and he walks into the countryside, And he finds a hiking trail, and he joins up with some hikers, and he just starts to hike. And he never stops. Like, he works three months of the year at this hiking store, and the other nine months of the year, he's hiking all over the country. Like, he's hiked the AT three times. He's hiked the equivalent of the Appalachian Trail in the uh, Pacific uh, West Coast twice. He's done the Continental Divide twice. He hikes all through Europe, all through Africa, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, man, that's actually pretty cool. Kind of wish I could do that. Uh, <laughs> but the dad starts to ask him, he's like, you know, I'm, I'm not, not trying to be coy or anything like that, but is this kind of your plan while you kind of kick your drug hat of it and then, you know, you move on to something else? Like, is there another thing that you'd like to do? And the guy says, nah, man. Like, the wilderness saved my life. Like, this is my life. Like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to hike. Look, wouldn't it be great if the wilderness was just for recovering drug addicts and Bible people who lived a long time ago in the Old Testament? And people like you and I could just leave all this Old Testament stuff behind. But it's not. Because people for a long, long time have taken Exodus as this model for the Christian life. And it's not just, you know, sort of what it's like, but it's exactly what it's like. This means that God calls people into the wilderness to save our lives. That Moses' life is lived in the wilderness, and he led the people of Israel there. My job as a pastor is to lead you into the wilderness. Because the wilderness is not a place... It's a path. It's not a hard time in life. It is your life. The wilderness is the empty place where God leads us so that he would meet us and we would be filled. To follow God is to follow God into the wilderness. Look, the default of our gut is to think, the wilderness is the place where I go and I get abandoned. And life is really hard, and I get run over, and I lose control of my life. I need to lose clarity about my life, and I'm just going to get you know, wiped out out there. And our temptation is to avoid living as though we really were in the wilderness, even though we are. And we want to set up shop and want to make this place our home. But God is leading you and the rest of his people into the wilderness so that you'll be emptied, and you'll find his fullness, and you'll live.
this is not our home. It's just not. Life with God in the new heavens and the new earth, that is our home. And everything else is just exodus. So tonight, I just want to make two points. I want to make two points. In the wilderness is where we're emptied. And in the wilderness is where we're filled. In the wilderness is where we're emptied. In the wilderness is where we're filled. So how are we emptied in the wilderness? Look at the start of this. Sorry, is the scripture not up? (laughs) It's all right. At the start of this story, God is the one in control. He leads his people into the wilderness. And he's there the whole time with them. He's leading them the whole time. He's leading them. If you were to look at a map, the quickest way between Egypt and Israel is actually to go along the coast, up through Israel. It's like a seven-day trip. He leads them out into the desert and on all these kind of weird loop-de-loops. And it's 40 years of them wandering in the wilderness. And this is God's plan A. They thought they would go more directly. God leads them to a dead end. He leads them to the Red Sea where they're going to get chased down by Pharaoh's army. He empties his people of control from the get-go. He empties them of clarity. When we don't feel like we're in control, we can get sort of this consolation, I think, of like thinking, well, at least I'll have some clarity in this. Like, I'm going to go through this difficult time in life, and God's going to teach me three important lessons, and they're all going to start with the letter A. And then I'm going to leave that hard time, and I'm going to look back over it, and I'm going to know exactly why all that happened. Probably not. That's generally not the way it works. We can bear a loss of control so long as we understand it. But in the wilderness, clarity isn't certain either. He empties his people of a sense of consequence. Like in the wilderness, there are no cities, there are no roads, there's no agriculture, there's nothing permanent that can be built or accomplished. There's just people kind of hanging out, doing family life in the desert for 40 years while God rains food down on them from the sky. And it drives them nuts. Later, they're going to rebel against Moses and say, we wish we were back in Egypt. We wish we were slaves again. They're essentially going to say, slavery is better than losing these things. Because we just want control and clarity and consequence. You and I want efficiency and a plan. Like, get me saved, take me to heaven, leave me on the most route at home, and let's skip all the hard stuff. You could do that, God. Like, that's our plan, but that's not God's plan. He doesn't seem to care that much about our plans. What he cares about is that we would learn to depend on him and learn to be with him. That for people who want a plan, this will drive you crazy. And you and I, we're just part of this generation in history that has the most control and the most information and the most agency of anyone else in history. And we just woke up that way. That's just the way things were. And we think that if we can get this outline of our life straight as to what we're supposed to do, like it'll be smooth sailing. But following Jesus in this world does not mean that you have the life that you want plus Jesus. It means that you'll have his life in the wilderness or you'll have no life at all. The wilderness confronts us in our deepest desires. The wilderness is not a phase in life. It is our zip code. It is where we live. One of the necessary arts of the Christian life is to learn how to follow Jesus into the wilderness 
and to partake of God's fullness and sweetness there. The promise of the Bible is that that's where God meets you. That's where God cares for you. That's where he fills you most clearly with his presence. That we need him to bring us there and to empty us of all the nonsense that we use to fill up our hearts. We need him to silence the lies of the garden. That you will be like God if your life looks like anthropology's Instagram account. Like, (laughs) in the wilderness is a return to the sanity of living life like a human being. And not a person who's always beautiful, who knows everything, who's everywhere at all times and can do anything. That is a crazy position. And it's a position reserved only for God. But if you are going to follow Jesus, then you're going to have to go to the place where you don't have more control and more clarity, but actually less of it. That the path of faith really is a path into the wilderness, into an empty place, where God empties his people out and he meets them there. Because here's the lesson for folks like you and I, is that you don't need more control of your life. And you don't need more consequence for your life. And you don't need more clarity in your life. But you need Jesus. And you need him to bring you into the wilderness and to make you empty. And then to give you what you need to be full. Throughout his life, Jesus goes consistently to the empty places and meets people there. Jesus leaves the fullness of heaven and he goes into the emptiness of the wilderness of earth. At the beginning of his ministry, Jesus gets baptized and he goes straight into the wilderness. He's tempted in the wilderness. The devil says, make some bread out of these stones. And he says, no, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. God will fill me. Jesus struggles in the wilderness and angels minister to him. He moves there to be empty And to find empty people so that he can be full with his Father. And he can fill those people with the fullness that comes from the Father. When Jesus leaves the wilderness, do you know what one of the first things he says to his disciples is? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. That in the desert, Christ finds emptiness and fullness. And all those who want to follow him will find the same thing. So what is the fullness that we find in the wilderness? What is that fullness? Look at the, Think about the fire and the cloud here. That God's presence is with his people. And there is a pillar of fire by night. Leading them, guiding them, keeping them warm, protecting them, lighting things up where there's no firewood. And during the day, there's this pillar of cloud that shades them, that keeps them cool, that guides them. Look, the place of the desert is the place where God is most present as we are most empty. We're terrified of that. But you don't have to be afraid of it. Because God is committed to fill your life with intimacy and sweetness in ways that you just couldn't imagine without the desert. Look, we are put upon a path of emptiness that none of us can forsake if we're going to follow Jesus. That's the case of every follower of Jesus. That's the case for the rest of your life. But the place of the wilderness is a place where God promises not to forsake us or leave us. And that comes through in ways that will just blow your mind. 
Look, none of the stories or the scripts that I had for my life when I was 19 came true. Like, none of them came anywhere close to true. I had no idea that I was going to be a pastor. I had no idea I would do college ministry. I had no idea who I would marry, that I would have kids, where I would live. But God has led me into these empty places and confronted my desire for control and said, I'm the one who writes the script, not you. And he's filled me. Look, I have no idea what the future holds. And neither do you. People ask you all the time, what are you going to do with your life? I mean, even if you know your major, you have no idea what you're going to do with your life. You don't know where you're going to live. You don't know who you're going to meet and marry. You know what you're going to do with any of that stuff. Do you know what the answer to that question is? I don't know, but Jesus is my life and he will fill me. The wilderness is deeply consoling. Most of the holy people that I know, their life makes no sense. Their script is like all over the place. They've been sick in ways they never imagined they'd be sick. They lost things they never thought they'd lose. They've been lonely in ways they never thought they'd been lonely. And that's some of your experiences as well. You never thought that you'd lose so much in coming here, as great as this place is. You never thought you'd be so lonely as many people as there are here. You never thought that when you got here and kind of the regimen and the schedule of your life at home was kind of kicked away and you were free to kind of do what you wanted to do, you never thought the things that were revealed in your heart would be revealed, and yet there they are. Because God has led you into the wilderness in order to make you holy and to fill you in ways that you just can't imagine. God's communion with his people in the wilderness is just so beautiful. And it's so good. I mean, I don't understand my life. I feel like I've lived so much in the wilderness. And it is such a consolation to me to look into this word. And to look into the lives of my brothers and sisters in Christ. And to have those things confirm my experience of wilderness living. For both the word and God's people to say, I know that you want to know and to be in control. But believe me, it's better this way. You're fuller here. In the wilderness, you're fuller than you could be anywhere else. The script that I'm living and the script that I imagined I would live when I was 19, those are just two totally different things. There's more joy in the wilderness than I ever could have written for myself. I never thought that I would marry someone as wonderful as I married. I just never thought that I would. I never thought that I would have two sweet little girls. And that when they were born, that my heart would like break. There was so much joy there. There's so much joy in the wilderness that you would never give yourself. But God delights to give you. And he's got to empty you to do that. Look, real community is only in its fullness in the wilderness. That this is the place where God makes a slave people into a nation. And it's where he dwells with them and invites them into his community. Real community, real friendship for you is impossible when you don't need other people. But the wilderness is the place where you need each other. Where you have to have other people. You don't have to live your life as a lonely man or woman. 
We need you. You need us. We're in this wilderness together, journeying together. This is the place of real community. Look, Christians from other races and cultures, they just tend to get this naturally, I think, better than I do. Like white American Christian men like me, we have blind spots. You might, may or may not have noticed that. And one of those is not knowing what we need from other people especially other cultures and ethnicities. But other races, especially, say, if you're the kid of a first-generation immigrant, like you really get the idea that this place is not my home, that this place wasn't built with me in mind. And I'm moving through this on my way to my true home. And white Christians just need to listen to that and move towards it and learn. Like, What does it feel like to follow Jesus in this life? It feels like pilgrimage with God to your real home. Because the reality is that this place was built with people like me in mind. But it's a wilderness. And we're living in that wilderness, but moving towards our home. And I need to learn that from other people. Like, there's just no other way around it. Look, it's great to live in Chapel Hill. This has got great weather. We have amazing sports, unless it's football season. You know I had to say that. (laughs) Merits is consistently making the best BLT on the planet. It's so great to live in Chapel Hill. And it's so great that it can like cast this enchantment over you and get you to think that this is our home with a capital H and that every other place that you ever live is going to aspire to be this place. And that... To that, God says, this place is not your home. We are pilgrims. And this place is another stop in the wilderness, as good as it is. And your temptation will be to make this place your home with a capital H. But to get to your true home, you're going to have to keep walking and keep following Jesus. Look, if you're going to follow him into something as sad as the world, where there's mass shooters and hurricanes destroy the Caribbean and people get divorced and people get cancer, if you're going to follow him into that and walk out of that to your true home, which is so glorious that you will never die and you'll never know sadness and you'll never be able to hurt another person and there's not another shoe shoe that will drop. (laughs) (laughs) that's so funny (laughs) genome (laughs) look if you're going to follow God into that then you've got to know that you've just got to keep walking that this place is not your home but our temptation is always to make it our home with a capital H and it's just not that and so I want to end with this Uh, There was a missionary about 100 years ago, a guy named Henry Morrison. And uh, he'd been a missionary with his wife in Africa for like 40 years. And they retired, and they were leaving Africa, and they were returning home to New York. And this is is like the age of like grand ocean liners and things like that. So he's on this big boat steaming towards the New York Harbor. And as they get closer to the dock, 
And they see that there's like a brass band playing and news reporters and this crowd that's like waving and cheering. And he looks at his wife and he says, you know, someone heard that we're coming back. And they're here to meet us. And they had had a really hard go of it in Africa. They've been there for decades. Like, I mean, it would be like if you started being a missionary during the end of the Carter administration and you just came back now to America. They've been gone that long. And he's thinking, like, someone heard that we're coming back and there's a party. Awesome. Well, what he didn't know was that then-president Teddy Roosevelt had been big game hunting in Africa and that all these people were there to meet him as he got off their boat. And so the boat docks, Teddy Roosevelt gets out, and all the reporters, the brass bands, the crowds of people go with him down the street into New York City. And Henry Morrison and his wife, they disembark from the boat, and it's crickets. Like, nobody's there. And he's totally deflated by it. And so they hail a cab, and they go to the small flat that the missions board has rented for them. And it just kind of wears on Henry Morrison. And his wife can tell over the course of several weeks, like, this is really bothering him. Like, really bothering him. And she confronts him after several weeks, and she says, have you been honest with God about this? Like, have you told God the things that you've told me about how much that hurt you? And he says, you know, I guess maybe I haven't. And so he goes to his room, he gets on his knees, and he starts to pray these things. He says, God, we did all this work, all this work for you for all these years, and it seemed like when we got home, somebody would notice. Somebody would realize what we had done and how great it was, and I thought that I had done something significant and something good with my life, and that people would stand up and take notice when I finally got home, but there was nobody there. And I'm so mad about it. And he prays about it and he gets up and he leaves the room and when he gets back to his wife, it's like his whole face has changed. Like his countenance is just totally transformed. And his wife looks at him and she says, like, what happened? And he says, I was praying and I was saying all those things that I've been saying to you and I was saying them to God. And it was like God put his hand on my shoulder and he said, I know... I know that it hurt you that nobody was there to welcome you home. I know that you're mad about that and that you wanted to feel significant and that you wanted to feel like after all this time, you know, something was finally happening because you thought that somebody would be there. But son, you're not home yet. You're just not home yet. And man, that is so hard to remember. That is so hard to hold in front of ourselves that we live in a wilderness and we are just not home yet. You and I live in this really transient time of life where we're constantly trying to put down roots and make it feel like home with a capital H. And God is saying, you're not home yet. Keep walking with me. Keep following me. Feel the emptiness. Be emptied with me and I will fill you. And come home with me. And you'll know real joy and significance and rest with me. And that's my offer to you tonight.
to walk, and to go home with God. Amen. Let me pray. Father, you love us so much that you gave us yourself. Jesus, you left your home to find homeless people who were empty and to fill us and to bring us to your home. Lord, you took your enemies and you made us children. You took slaves and you set us free. Lord, we are bowed down under all these burdens and you lifted those things and you said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Lord, let us walk with you. Let us find that easy yoke. Lord, fill us and we will be full. Lord, take us home and we will know real rest and real joy. Do that and help us to persevere in you and with you forever. In your name we pray. Amen.